What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to another edition of Be Shape Daily. Brennan Shaper here with you in the evening hours of Monday, April 3rd, 2023. It's actually after midnight now, so I lied about that. It's April 4th now. But the Cardinals played on Monday night, and they did not succeed against the Atlanta Braves. Down at Bush Stadium, 8-4, to four, the Cardinals drop game one of their series against Atlanta as it was another game in which the offense produced double-digit hit total. That's happened four times in a row now to begin the season for the Cardinals. However, another thing happened for the fourth time, which is a Cardinals starter failing to go, well, very deep at all into his appearance. Jake Woodford was on the mound tonight for the Cardinals. Four and a third innings is all he was able to muster for St. Louis as he got into trouble early against the Atlanta Braves lineup. Three home runs allowed by Woodford within the first two innings, and that ultimately helped to sink the Cardinals 8-4 to four on Monday. We'll talk about Woodford's outing, and we'll talk about some of the guys that came on in relief of Woodford. Most of them doing a pretty good job. One of the exceptions, though, was Jordan Hicks, and now we've seen Jordan Hicks kind of struggle in three out of three outings to begin the season for him. And so we'll talk about a little bit with uh, what's going on now for Jordan Hicks and where he maybe needs to improve and see some changes moving forward in his game in order for the Cardinals to be able to rely upon him. Because I think uh, Ollie Marmel knows and the Cardinals know, even Jordan Hicks knows, it's important that they'll be able to do so moving forward this season. And so we'll talk a little bit about Jordan Hicks and the struggles there. We'll talk about the offense uh, on a night where they outhit the Atlanta Braves 12 to 10, but ultimately they just didn't get those timely hits. Uh, there was one situation in the eighth inning in particular that I thought the Cardinals kind of got hosed on. I'll explain what I mean there, uh, but we'll kind of break things down from an offensive per- perspective tonight as well on B shape daily. Make sure you're locked and loaded as always on B shape daily Spotify Let me know if you're following on Spotify. I've gotten a few more followers from you guys in the last few days. Appreciate you for following over there. Give me a five-star review if you could be so kind. I know the number of reviews on Spotify, so every review counts to get those numbers up. Appreciate that. Apple Podcasts is another place you can subscribe to the show. And YouTube, I'm doing another video now uh, for this episode of B-Shape Daily. So if you'd rather watch the YouTube video, that is an option that is available to you as well. YouTube.com slash at for 12 and it's new month. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash for 12 as well. That's where you can uh, sign up as a, a patron to support everything we're doing here at B-Shape Daily if you really like our content. Let's go ahead, though, and jump right into the content of tonight's show, which is talking about this 8-4 to loss that the Cardinals suffer on Monday night. The Atlanta Braves bring Charlie Morton to the hill. Uh, the Cardinals have had some success against him in their past, But it was Jake Woodford, the story of the game for the Cardinals. What would he do in his first outing after making the rotation out of spring? He would have made this ball club regardless of the injury to Adam Wainwright. I think that's important to note. But he would have been probably in that long relief role, similar to how they used him last year. But they were impressed enough by Woodford in the spring camp. I think he led the team in strikeouts unless somebody else passed him up right at the end there. 18 strikeouts and about 17 innings for Woodford down in Grapefruit League play. The Cardinals were impressed by what he did, and rightfully so. He started missing more bats, which is something that uh, he didn't do a ton of last year. Uh, Like I had talked about previously, they trusted Jake Woodford to pitch in some games, but he was that guy. The Memphis shuttle was always part of his uh, lexicon. And when you look at the end of his season, 
2.3 ERA, but I think he had 16 or so games finished without recording a save. So that tells you a lot of mop-up duty, whether the Cardinals were way ahead, way behind late in games. They needed somebody to cover those innings, and a lot of times it was Jake Woodford. So they never really gave him the opportunity to pitch in more meaningful circumstances. Well, the injury to Wainwright has opened the door for that to happen to begin this season. Well, after one night of it, the results aren't exactly glowing for Jake Woodford. Gave up three home runs, and one of them was a mammoth blast to Austin Riley there in the first inning. 473 feet. I'm pretty sure it cleared the bleachers and landed on the concourse out there in left center field at Bush Stadium. When I go on my walks, which I haven't done yet this year, I need to get the fitness up a little bit, but in past years, uh, you know, around the fifth, sixth, seventh inning or so, depending on the type of game we've got on hand, I'll take a lap or two around the ballpark just to get my legs fresh and uh, take in the sights and sounds of Bush Stadium. And as I'm walking through that left center field concourse, sometimes, if depending on who's batting, if it's a really powerful right-handed hitter, you might end up uh, just kind of hanging out a little while. And you see some fans out there that are maybe hoping to catch a home run ball. Uh, they're in the right spot to do it. But realistically, to clear the bleachers, you have got to hit the thing a ton. Well, that's exactly what Austin Riley did tonight against Jake Woodford. The 473-foot blast was one of the longest in the history of Bush Stadium 3, and I believe it's the longest ever by an opposing player at Bush Stadium. Uh, there was some discussion in the press box about this tonight. Keon Broxton, a few years ago, I believe that was with the Brewers, he hit one that was, I guess, originally measured at like 490, 480-something, and later on, this was Jeff Jones that was saying this as we were taking the elevator down, Later on, they actually remeasured and took some distance off of that. So I don't know that the Broxton home run officially went down as longer uh, than the one that Riley hit tonight, 473 feet. So one of the longest home runs in the history of the stadium and perhaps the longest by an opposing player uh, against the Cardinals there at Bush got to the concourse and Austin Riley got every bit of it, every stitch of that baseball, as they say. Two home runs were hit later on in the game. It was the second inning when Jake Woodford allowed five runs. And both of them had a chance uh, to be brought back into the yard. Ozzie Albies very nearly got robbed of a home run by Jordan Walker in right field. It was a skyscraper shot. And Walker timed up his jump, tried to bring it back into the yard. And it came up a couple of feet short as that ball was just uh, not close enough to the lip of the wall for Jordan Walker to be able to bring it back in. Tyler O'Neill had a similar opportunity in center field. And I think he even nearly got the glove on it, but was kind of out of his outstretched reach as well there in center on a ball hit by Ronald Cunha Jr. So that was rough for Jake Woodford there in the second inning. But of course, uh, if you're giving up that kind of contact, it, it sort of comes with the territory. Kind of unusual, though, for Woodford, who gave up just one home run all of last season in the big leagues. Uh, I think it was about 48 and a third innings that he pitched last year. Only gave up one home run the entire season. Uh, well, tonight he gave up three of them in a matter of two innings. So a struggle for Woodford. I, I don't know exactly how long the leash on Woodford is going to be. The good news for him, though, was that he was able to settle down a little bit. He talked after the game about the notion of trying to keep the ball down. He needs to be working the bottom of the strike zone in order to find success. But there are times where with a fastball you want to pitch up in the strike zone or really beyond the top of the strike zone. And that was a problem for Woodford in the game tonight where he said some of the pitches that were hit hard, he didn't miss up the way that you really need to if you're going to exploit a fastball high. It can't be in that upper two-thirds of the strike zone. It really needs to be above the strike zone. And so 
If you're going to take your chance on that, you need to make sure that if you miss, you miss high and not miss low, which ends up putting the ball center cut in the middle of the plate. That's sort of what he ended up doing in his own words uh, that got him into a bit of trouble tonight. But he was able to settle in and gives the Cardinals some important innings. We talked about how yesterday it was very critical that Chris Stratton and Packy Naughton were able to cover the back end of that game for the Cardinals when they had such a big lead and they didn't want to get into a situation where if things got closer, then you've got to start to bring in the big guns. It would be nice to give everybody a break. Well, they were able to do that yesterday, but with where the Cardinals are right now, they've only got the one off day in the next 10 days or so. You've got the road trip coming up. You want to try and make sure everybody stays as fresh as possible. And so for Jake Woodford, that meant in a losing effort, maybe getting a few more innings out of him. Four and a third is all he's able to come up with, but he was scoreless there after the second, so that was good to see. Zach Thompson comes in, does a nice job in the fifth and sixth innings. And uh, as the Cardinals went on there, you kind of thought maybe they're still in this game because we know the offense and what they're capable of doing. And ultimately, the offense did have a pretty good night in terms of getting guys on base. It was driving them in that ended up being the problem for the Cardinals on Monday night. They ended up with 12 hits. The, the Braves only had 10. So they actually out hit Atlanta in this game. But at the end of the day, it was 22 left on base for the Cardinals, which is not to say there were 22 individual guys, but I think that's any time a guy comes up, if you've got runners on second and third and you strike out with you know one out in the inning, that's two left on base. And the next guy pops out or strikes out whatever he does to end the inning, that's two more left on base. So 22 different opportunities with ducks on the pond for guys to be driven in, and all 22 of those, well, they didn't come around to score, and that's why the Cardinals only ended up with four runs in this game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The Cardinals got a little something going there in, I want to say it was the fourth inning. I'll take a look back here at my notes. Yeah, in the fourth inning, the Cardinals got a little bit of a rally going. It involved a Jordan Hicks base hit, an RBI, a single for, uh, or I should say Jordan Walker. I knew something came out wrong there. Jordan Walker with an RBI base hit. That's a four-game hitting streak for Jordan Walker, so the rookie continuing to do good things. And it was kind of ironic. That was a bloop hit, really, into center field for Walker to get the RBI. In a previous at-bat and a couple of other times throughout the, the the weekend plus Monday, he has hit the ball really hard and just has really not gotten rewarded for it. So it's kind of crazy to think that we've got a rookie player who's 20 years old, and we're talking about, yeah, he's really gotten hit into some bad luck so far this season, and he's still managed to find the four-game hitting streak. So Jordan Walker's going to be just fine. He looks really, really impressive at the plate. Even the outs he's making right now make you feel some sort of confidence about what he's going to be able to do for the Cardinals moving forward. But that was part of the fourth inning where they were able to get a couple of runs. Uh, I, I believe Nolan Arenado there had a, a ground out that ended up scoring a run for the Cardinals tonight. That one might have been later on in the game. They just weren't able to really get as much as they wanted done with those key opportunities and runners on base. We'll talk a little bit more about the offense, though, and the play that happened in the eighth inning that I really felt like even in an 8-4 to four game, it was a situation where I could have seen the Cardinals coming back in this one had maybe one call gone a little differently in the 8th. But I want to kind of wrap up the conversation about the pitching first because uh, when it comes to Jake Woodford, I know there are probably a lot of Cardinals fans questioning 
well, how long is he necessarily going to stay in the rotation if this is how it looks? It's the first turn through. I think he's going to have a little longer leash than just the one game. Although if you have a guy like Matthew Libertor, maybe follow up with another quality start. He looked pretty good. And I think it was like seven shutout innings or one run innings in his first outing of the year was throwing 97, 98. So that's encouraging progress for Libertor. But I think for right now, they're going to at least let it go another turn through and see what it kind of looks like. Uh, Jake Woodford is, you know, being rewarded for what he did in spring. And I don't think the Cardinals want to uh, necessarily completely overlook that and, and just sort of uh, overreact to what they're seeing in a first game. By the way, we know the Atlanta Braves are a good team. Like, this is a good lineup, and so it's not entirely surprising that uh, you have Jake Woodford have a little bit of trouble in this game against Atlanta. The home runs, I think he gave up to uh, Austin Riley, Ozzie Albies, and Ronald Acuna. So, like, those are th- those are some legitimate guys to get you. It's not like he's getting beat by uh, by some scrubs. I mean, those are all-star caliber players up and down the Atlanta lineup. And that's kind of what we talked about. You don't want to overreact to anything happening in the beginning of the year for the Cardinals when you play against the Toronto Blue Jays, who are going to be uh, one of those teams that, that could be the class of the American League. And certainly we expect the, the Braves to be one of the top teams in the National League. So it's a good kind of uh, way for the Cardinals to test their competitive medal to begin the year. But at the same time, you don't want to say, well, this guy stinks. He can't do anything. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what it looks like for Jake Woodford. I know this has been sort of the first chance to see him in, in a more uh, meaningful role for the Cardinals. And, and yeah, the, the early returns aren't great on the way he pitched tonight. And I think he knows that. But uh, was able to settle down right after the second inning. Uh, had a two and a third inning scoreless, I guess it would have been, before Zach Thompson came up to finish the fifth inning for him. So all in all, I think let's see one more outing from Jake Woodford. But yeah, there are going to have to be questions answered, I think, at some point about the rotation, if this is what it looks like every time through, where Michaelis doesn't go five, Flaherty and Montgomery both pitched okay. They both got the win, uh, but there were some some efficiency issues for both of those guys only able to get through the fifth inning. And then tonight you get to pitch into the fifth inning if you're Jake Woodford, but you're already doing so from a pretty substantial deficit and you're not able to get out of the fifth inning due to uh, pitch, pitch count and everything going on there. So right now it's Steven Matz. That's who's going to have a chance on Tuesday night to sort of be the class of the Cardinals rotation, which, by the way, I think he's going to do it. Uh, I did say at the beginning of the season, tweeted it out. He's my prediction for kind of the Cy Young or the Gibby of the Cardinals pitching rotation uh, in 2023. I think he could end up being the team's best starter and not in maybe a way that, I mean, I guess you could look at it and say, well, that kind of sucks. That's an indicator that the Cardinals rotation is maybe not that good. Well, I think it can be okay, but I think Steven Matz can just be one of the more reliable guys within it uh, based on the spring that he had and the fact that last year he wasn't really healthy, but you look back to before last year, Steven Matz was a pretty capable pitcher, and that's why the Cardinals signed him to the four-year, $44 million contract when they did did not get their money's worth in the first year. But I think keep an eye on Steven Matz. You'll get a first chance to look at him on Tuesday night, again, against the tough Braves lineup. But I think he's going to be up for the task, and I'll be interested to see how he performs. But as for Jake Woodford, I think you'll see him again in the rotation. I think uh, better days could be ahead for him. But, yeah, at a certain point, you're going to have to prove it with your performance on the field. The same can be said for Jordan Hicks. That's the next guy I wanted to talk about because it's really been a struggle for him. You remember the first game of the season, uh, that opening day, uh, Thursday, wasn't a great outing, but at the same time, it's like, okay, he gave up some soft contact. I don't believe he allowed a batted ball out of the infield against him, uh, but he had the wild pitch, obviously, that injured Contreras there for a minute. 
He was uh, a little bit erratic. And that was the night where Ollie Marmel said he threw enough strikes tonight to be fine. That was the quote from Marmel. And ultimately, you just kind of have to nod your head and go, okay, Ollie wasn't overly concerned about it that night. It was just one of those things where it was a bad beat, right? You end up uh, giving up some soft contact that guys are able to reach base on, and it's whatever for Jordan Hicks. But then you get into the next outing over the weekend for Hicks, and that was a night where he walked three and had a wild pitch, was charged with a run there, and he was kind of bailed out by Ryan Helsley, and it was important that he did so that the Cardinals were able to win that game. I think that was Saturday. Okay, now we get a day off for Jordan Hicks. He comes back on Monday. This was not a very good start for him, or outing for him, I should say. Either gave up three hits there in the seventh inning, all three of them, with an exit velocity greater than 100 miles per hour. So they were hitting him hard in this game. It wasn't a matter of soft contact that gave him trouble in the seventh inning. And it's kind of a bummer because the Cardinals at that point, I believe, were down 6-3. to three. So you were able to cut the deficit down to a three-run deficit. And with the Cardinals and the lineup and the offense, the way that it has been cooking, you kind of figure that's a new ball game. That's a game that the Cardinals are by no means out of at this point in time. And so you felt pretty good about where things stood there until Jordan Hicks kind of coughed it up a little bit in the seventh inning. I think it was Acuna that doubled off him down the left field line. That was an absolute rocket, 107 off the bat. And then the next guy, Matt Olson, singled into center field at 108. And the third hit was like 102.7 in terms of exit velocity. So they were hitting him pretty hard. It was the sinker for the most part that Jordan Hicks was not pleased with. It was kind of a little bit weird to hear this actually after the game where he talked about and I'm going to preface this by I got to be careful how I bring this up because Jordan Hicks said it's not an injury related thing, but it was just a case of with his shoulder, he felt it get, he used the word cranky, which I don't think was a maybe the word choice that, to describe what he was actually feeling because he said it was not injury related. So I want to be clear about that. But it sounded like for him, it took him a little bit to loosen up and completely fully feel like the shoulder was loose and, and everything was operating at its full capacity. And the the velocity kind of matches that, too. The first two sinkers that he threw, 96.8, 96.9 miles per hour. We know Jordan Hicks with the sinker. That's a pitch that's hit 105 for him before. He's typically sitting triple digits with it. And that first inning, the seventh, where he had the trouble, it was two in the 96 range and then like 99.8, 99.7 uh, before finally getting up to triple digits, I think, later on in the inning. He reiterated multiple times that he felt like the off-speed stuff was great. And in an outing where you kind of got your sinker hit around a little bit and you didn't feel like that was was your best pitch, at least in the first of his two innings that he threw, uh, it makes sense that after the game he was saying, I like the off-speed stuff. I felt like that's in a really good spot. And it's true. You look at the swings that he's getting. I have always thought that the slider is Jordan Hicks's best pitch. The problem is when the sinker is not operating as a sinker and it's not getting the movement on it that you need and you're not locating it effectively – it's a little harder to maximize the value of the off-speed stuff, which he's been throwing a splitter now as well. Said it's one that he hasn't really broken out a ton since 2019, but it's starting to feel like a good pitch for him. So maybe that's something to keep an eye on. But the slider in particular just kind of falls off the table. It's a, It's got a really good breaking action to it. And when you throw 100 and then you, you dial it back to kind of upper 80s on that slider, it can be a devastating pitch for him. But to really be able to play it off of its full capacity – You've got to be able to locate and be effective with the sinker. And I think Jordan Hicks uh, felt like that wasn't the case tonight. He talked about wanting to keep it down. 
Now, a sinker up in the zone, it's kind of an oxymoron. It's not really a sinker if it's not sinking on you. You can do it. In the same way that Jake Woodford can talk about throwing his fastball up and over the zone, you just don't want to miss in that kind of mid to upper third of the strike zone, right? That's a way that you can approach it and be effective. I think the same can be said for Hicks. I know he's kind of thrown that pitch up above the strike zone before, but if you're trying to throw it low in the zone and it's creeping up into the middle or even the upper part of the strike zone, that's where you can run into trouble because it just it it runs counter to the effectiveness of what a sinker is supposed to be. And even if you're throwing it 100 miles per hour, as Jordan Hicks did and can, batters in Major League Baseball now are kind of used to seeing that. It's not to say that they're used to seeing the, the 104 that occasionally Jordan Hicks is able to break out on that pitch. But across the league, guys are throwing harder. And so it's not going to have the same impact that it would have 10 years ago if you're throwing triple digits. There are multiple guys in every bullpen, it seems like, that can get up to 99 to 100 miles per hour. And so it's not enough anymore to just be able to throw it hard. And I feel like that's part of the reason that Jordan Hicks is sort of getting hit around a little bit, at least on Monday. He's he's not quite getting It's coming in a little flat, honestly, is, is kind of the way it looks to me. He talked about it being location, which I think those two things go hand in hand, right? If you've got a sinker that's up, it's going to look a little flat because it's not being maximized in the way uh, that makes the most sense to use that type of pitch. He reiterated that I need to get the sinker down, and if I can do that, I feel like the breaking stuff is in a really good spot, getting swings and misses, and so all of it will kind of come together for Jordan Hicks if he's able to do that. It was interesting to hear Ollie Marmel talk about it after that first inning, which was the seventh for Hicks. He gave up, I think it was a couple of runs in that inning. He comes off the field. And basically, according to Ali Marmel, takes ownership for the outing that he had and said, I got to be better. I, you know, it, it, that that wasn't satisfactory. I recognize that he wanted another crack at it. And Ali Marmel sends him back out for the eighth, says, basically, you're probably going to be without him again for Tuesday anyway. He's pitched in three of the four games so far this season. So rather than maybe have that be a borderline conversation for Tuesday, I should say, uh, it's going to be a case where he pitches the eighth inning on Monday, and then you just know he's going to be down and unavailable for Tuesday. But it felt like it was important to get Jordan Hicks some of that confidence to go in and get the job done with the clean eighth inning. He was able to do that, so there's the positive. And the velocity was, again, in that inning, it was more like 101, 102 pretty consistently, maybe touched 103, and that was a positive sign. The problem, I think, for the Cardinals and for Jordan Hicks and what I think Ali Marmel wants him to work on, what Jordan Hicks has said, it's been an emphasis area for him is to come into an outing and be at his peak operating capacity right away. Clearly, that was not the case tonight. Part of it was the velocity. It's just like he's kind of still loosening up and getting going into an outing. The Cardinals got to find a way to get him to that peak point a lot earlier because you don't have the ability to face, you know, two, three, four in a batting order against a, a team that could potentially be in the World Series like the Atlanta Braves and just say, oh, it's, it's fine if I have a little bit of a warm-up period. Like, the warm-up's got to happen in the bullpen, and then you've got to come out and be firing on all cylinders. And that was sort of what Ali Marmel tried to describe and say is that, you know, he'll be interested. Ali said, I'll be interested to talk to Jordan here in a few minutes to see what he has to say about it. But it's about getting up for that first guy and not only getting up once you've allowed some base runners on. And said so that's something that has kind of been uh, maybe a little bit of a, a calling card of Hicks in the past where, you know, you come out and you're maybe just kind of a little bit easing into an outing and then there's a runner on base, they reach, and so now you're ready to go. Now you're amped up because the circumstances uh, have been, you know, broached to where there's more pressure on the situation. 
that's not really where the Cardinals want Jordan Hicks to be. And by his own admission, it's kind of where he was tonight. And says it's something that he's been working on. But I think for him, I think in his mind, he's saying the velocity wasn't there. I was, I just, I didn't have it. I wasn't, I wasn't to that point yet uh, coming out of my warm up pitches to where I was able to accomplish the task of starting strong in a relief appearance. So the stuff is there. The stuff was really good in the eighth inning, um, locating the sinker and making sure you can do it for the first batter and not just the third batter or the fourth batter once you get into a little bit of trouble and now you feel like, okay, now I'm under the gun. I can I can go. Go time's got to be sooner, I think, for Jordan Hicks, and that's something that um, Ali Marmel seems very intent upon wanting to see him do. And really, I mean, when you think about it, the Cardinals are going to need him to do that because I, I think Ryan Helsley's going to be nails in the ninth inning. I don't have any, like, concern about what it's going to look like for him. He, he was really critical in that game on Saturday, being able to uh, bail out Jordan Hicks in that spot and and give the Cardinals, uh, you know, a five-out save or whatever it ended up being. I think it was five outs. Um, and even if it wasn't a save, whatever. I think it was a save. Four-to-one game, five-out save. That was big from uh, what Ryan Helsley was able to do. You haven't seen Giovanni Gallegos yet. He was available today on Monday, just didn't end up coming into the game because of obviously it wasn't a close game and uh, the Cardinals were trailing. So you don't really need your, your setup man uh, your second best is kind of the way you look at it, reliever, to come into that game. They were trying to keep the game close with Jordan Hicks because when you're within three with this lineup, there was definitely an opportunity to maybe uh, do a little damage and, and come back in that game, but weren't able to do it, right? And part of that is maybe just, you know, Jordan Hicks didn't keep it within a three-run game, and so the offense doesn't quite have that same edge that they otherwise might have, and everything sort of went downhill from there. But Behind Helsley, behind Gallegos, who I, I do have some concern about Gallegos, not just because we haven't seen him yet, but because I don't know how he's going to adapt to the pitch clock. Didn't have to use it in the World Baseball Classic. Was one of the slowest relievers to the plate in terms of time between each pitch last season. And I don't know what that's going to look like for Gallegos. So it's kind of an unknown at this point. But behind that, you're talking about uh, Drew Verhagen. I think the Cardinals are going to find more and more trust in him as the season goes along. But Jordan Hicks is the other guy that the stuff should dictate that he would be one of the main right-handed relievers that you can rely upon in terms of late-game, high-leverage setup situations. Through the first three appearances he's had, I think there are questions about that and uh, ones that Ali Marmel would like to see answered. But it was good to see Jordan Hicks finish strong. Like, I don't want to bag on him too much. I know Cardinals fans, by and large, from what I saw on your tweets tonight, uh, Cardinals fans are really growing weary of everything going on with Jordan Hicks. I would say, yes, it's a concern. Like, I'm not pressing the panic button. It is a concern at this point, but it's not so far gone that I don't think he'll be able to work his way out of it. Uh, he's a confident young man, and I think he's still got the opportunity to have a good season for the Cardinals. I'm just making the commentary that they are going to need him to do so. They need Jordan Hicks to be Jordan Hicks in order to uh, have the bullpen fall into place around him the way that it needs to. Credit to the left-handed pitchers, though, that came in uh, into this game out of the bullpen. Zach Thompson is going to be nails. I mean, he's going to, he's going to raise his profile a lot this year. I think from like a national standpoint, where you're going to look up in July and go, "Wow, he's got a sub two ERA. That's pretty crazy." And people are going to take notice of what Zach Thompson is. He's a stud. I mean, he's going to have a good season uh, for the Cardinals. I'm pretty sure. And Packy Naughton deserves a lot of credit, man, for going out there and pitching the ninth inning tonight, where he threw two and a third the day before, and I told somebody, I said, that, well, you, you know, he's going to be unavailable for at least a day, probably two. You might see him Wednesday. 
Nope, you literally see him in Monday's game because he's packy and I guess he's got the rubber band arm and can go every night. But that was uh, another case where the Cardinals found those guys giving them pretty key uh, innings out of relief, even in a game that it seemed like it was kind of out of hand. Here's the thing about this game, though. It was not out of hand because if you leave 22 on base, that means you're constantly every other inning or more coming up with opportunities to score. And even when it was an 8-4 to game, like when it was 6-3, to I was like, I think the Cardinals are about to do something. Jordan Hicks kind of had the hiccup, makes it, uh, what was it, 8-3 to at that point. Then I think is when Arenado had the, uh, the, the ground out in the seventh inning. I guess I should go back and look at exactly when that took place because otherwise uh, you guys – you guys probably are sitting here going, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, it was it was earlier in the game that Arnado had that because the seventh inning was Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt hitting the home run in the seventh inning. Uh, kind of cool to see. Gave the fans a little bit of a jolt. Eight to four. It was still kind of out of reach at that point. But at the same time, it's not because of what this lineup is capable of doing. They got into a spot there in the eighth inning, and this is what I wanted to talk about, that Ali Marmel wasn't really willing to play ball in the question, which I understand. And he may not – he really may not have really seen it clean in the moment. Um but the strike three call to Alec Burleson to end the eighth inning was pretty bad. Uh, he First of all, he didn't see a pitch in the strike zone the entire at-bat, and he struck out looking. Now, part of that's on Alec Burleson, those first two uh, pitches that you're swinging at or whatever you're doing, you foul him pitches off. I, I don't remember the exact sequence. I just know that you look at the uh, the box, the, the batter's box, there's literally nothing near the strike zone in that at-bat, including the, the last pitch, which ended up going for a called third strike. And it was probably a good six inches off the plate outside. And I guess kind of the, the way Colin McHugh delivers that, they call it a sweeper pitch on StatCast. I think it's a slider. I mean, basically is what it is. But just like the way the slider breaks is more of a sweeper. It goes down and over instead of just one or the other. And so they call it a sweeper. The sweeper did not sweep. It stayed off the plate and there should not have been a situation there where Alec Burleson was called out. But it kind of like sapped the momentum that the Cardinals might have had. If he gets on base there, I know there are two outs, but he had a couple of guys on. If he's able to get on base, whether it's a walk or get a base hit that scores a run, now you've got Paul Goldschmidt coming up who had just homered the previous inning, and he would have at that point represented the tying run. I think the Cardinals would have found their way back into this game. I really do. But they never had the chance to do it because of a stinking called third strike that absolutely was not a strike. I asked Ollie about the game, uh, about the strike call after the game if he had any thoughts on it. He kind of gave me this look that was like, you know, I'm not going to go there. Uh, but what he said was, I'll have to look at it. And so it's, maybe he hadn't seen, like, the, the true scope of it, but I kind of said, thoughts on that called third strike to Burleson. It looked like that pitch was pretty well off the plate, and he just sort of indicated that he was not, not going to say anything about it. But maybe he, like I said, maybe he really hadn't seen the the, the stat cast or the, the box of, of how really far outside it was when when you're live and you're from a dugout angle, you might not see it. I thought it was just a little weird, though, in the moment that nobody really protested. You're Alec Burleson. You're a rookie. You're you're not trying to argue with the umpire. So I get it from that perspective. But I don't know if it's just it didn't really get seen from the Cardinals' dugout. I thought that might have been a spot where you hear a little bit of angst, um, and I, I didn't really sense that. Even the crowd sort of didn't complain the way I thought they would. It was weird. It was, it was I just didn't really understand it. But uh, that was one spot where I thought Cardinals might be able to mount another rally here and it kind of died before it had a chance to get going because of that that called third strike on uh, on a rookie Burleson. But uh, he's done a nice job so far for the Cardinals, filling in for Lars Newtbar, who, by the way, yes, now on the injured list. It's a thumb for Lars Newtbar. 
it's just one of those things where it's not quite – he said it's getting better, but it's not to the point where uh, he's able to feel comfortable in the field. He said of the two aspects of the game, batting versus defense, uh, defense was actually one that would be more difficult to accomplish at this point in time. It's the glove hand, and so if you take a, you know, a line drive or a fly ball and it, you catch it wrong – uh, the, the injury is kind of more near the joint where the, the inflammation is there. He said it's a lower down on the thumb. Um, it's just one of those things where you don't want to chance it and, and make it worse and potentially, you know, you get stung by it uh, by fielding a ball in the game, and then suddenly you're you're in a worse situation than you were. I will say it's been a little bit frustrating to see the way the Cardinals have talked about this injury um, because it, it kind of indicated each day, like, yeah, probably tomorrow, probably tomorrow. Yeah, we'll give him one more day. Well, now he's on the 10-day IL, retroactive to the 31st of March, so he can be back in less than a week from right now. But it's just one of those things where you're like, okay. like, And I get it. They don't know. And and I I know the Cardinals medical staff from people on Twitter and social media often take a lot of criticism because of the way these things are spoken about publicly. And then you you turn back. It's always the, the, the running joke of, oh, they said his arm's going to be fine, and the next day, oh, it needs to be amputated, right? That's what everybody always says on Twitter. It is one of those things where you just don't know until a guy's able to test it out. Nupar said, I really didn't test it out fully since the injury until today. He tried to do a little bit before uh, the game on Monday, and that's where they sort of made the decision that let's just give him the next six days or so. He he said he doesn't know if he's going to need a rehab assignment when he gets back, but his thumb was taped up a little bit tonight. We got a chance to talk to him. It is what it is. Juan Yepes is back with the team. Uh, good for him. He probably deserved to be on the roster anyway, despite the, the uh, struggles in spring. Um, but he kind of got boxed out by Jordan Walker, which happens, right? Jordan Walker uh, took the bull by the horns, so to speak, and he took that job. And that kind of left Juan Yepes out in the cold. But he's here now. We'll see if he gets any playing time uh, of significance over the next week or so um, before Newt Park comes back. And then it's going to be another decision about, okay, is it Juan Yepes that goes back down or how are they going to end up handling that? Um, but for Newt, yeah, it, it'll be another week or so before you see him. Like I said, retroactive to the 31st, and then hopefully he only needs the 10 days because it was something where, you know, just a contusion. It's not uh, all the imaging and x-rays and everything they did came back negative. He's, you know, optimistic that it's just going to be a quick deal, uh, but he's obviously frustrated. He was asked, you know, what's the frustration of coming into a season? He's had big expectations placed upon his shoulders, and to not be able to be out there, he's frustrated by it. Uh, I talked to him a little bit after uh, the media scrum kind of broke up with him and asked him about the notion of, like, wearing an oven mitt, right? You see the guys that have the – the basically it looks like an oven mitt, a big mitten on their hands uh, when they're sliding into bases. And he said, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to wear one moving forward. And I kind of was like, is there a reason you didn't before? And it's just one of those things that doesn't necessarily occur to the guys. But I also asked him, is it like a competitive advantage, you feel like, to not have it on – And he said, I mean, when there's slides, and this makes sense, I I understood this response, when there are slides you're trying to make and and maybe you're trying to swim around or get to the side and avoid a tag, it's going to be a lot easier to do it if you've got the full range of motion of your fingers and your hand rather than have the big old bulky oven mitt on. Uh, And I think, honestly, we saw the other day with Nolan Gorman sliding into home plate, he had the oven mitt on, and I think the reason he was called out on that, and it was something that went to replay review. Initially, they said safe, they reviewed it. I don't think the oven mitt was really able to get down and, and clearly touch home plate. I think his his oven mitt was like hovering above the plate, but can you definitively prove that he's touching it versus when a finger touches it, it just looks very much more definitive and clear on, on a video replay. 
I thought maybe that was an aspect. So there are these things where I wish everybody would wear them because I feel like you're it's an injury waiting to happen, especially if they insist upon headfirst sliding, which at times I know I said basically don't do it at all. I've tweeted some things like that. But at the same time, like from a competitive standpoint, there are times where you need to, and uh, it's going to be to your benefit to do so. The oven mitt's going to keep you healthy. Like, is it worth the one maybe opportunity to have an X, you know, was it 5%, 10% chance better of being called safe on a play at third or second or whatever it is versus you might miss two weeks of the season or longer if something should break, heaven forbid. So I think there's kind of a balancing act there. But Newt does sound like he's going to end up having the oven mitt. Nolan Gorman wears it. Some other guys wear it. It just sounds like it's one of those things where until a player goes through it, it's not really something that you want to have to do because you know that there is a competitive advantage to being able to have your full range of motion diving in. So I thought that was good. Appreciated that insight from Newt tonight. And uh, he'll be back at, at some point in time. It'll just be at least another six days or so before he's eligible to return for the Cardinals. But another guy that's done a really good job is Nolan Gorman. He goes two for three in the game tonight, reaches base as well via walk. That's now five walks on the season for Nolan Gorman in four games, more walks than games played. This coming off of a year as a rookie in which he had over 300 plate appearances and ended up with just 28 bases on balls for the entire season. So a work in progress that's going really well in terms of the plate discipline for Nolan Gorman. He's He's a force to be reckoned with. He and Goldschmidt tonight were the only guys that didn't leave anybody on base can't remember. I guess Gorman didn't have an opportunity if he didn't end up with the uh, putting an RBI together. Double check that to make sure I'm right about that. That Gorman did not have an RBI. No, he did not. But he uh, scored a run, two for three, reaches base via walk as well. Uh, and Goldschmidt was able to to come through with the RBI when he hit the home run, and he reached base via walk as well. Arnado goes two for five. Looking up and down the lineup here, Tyler O'Neill two for four. So uh, that's nice to see from him with a run scored. Like, the lineup up and down, Donovan was the only guy that did not get a hit tonight and uh, out, of, out of the starters. So, continue to just kind of do what they're doing. I think the Cardinals offensively are going to continue to impress this season, but the pitching is kind of where it's going to, I think, sink or swim. They've got to figure out a way to be more consistent on the pitching side of things, to be sure. They'll look to do that on Tuesday when Steven Matz takes the mound for St. Louis against the Atlanta Braves. I think this is one where the Cardinals are going to be able to come away with the win and, and will come away impressed with the way that Steven Matz pitched. But stay tuned to B-Shape Daily's podcast feed in order to uh, hear the recap of that game on Tuesday night, and uh, you'll probably be able to listen to it Wednesday morning. So thank you guys so much for listening, for subscribing, for following, for reviewing, and all of those great things. Uh, once again, this is all on YouTube, so check out the YouTube video if that's a preferred method of distribution that you like. Uh, when it comes to your Cardinals content, we'll have stuff on there all season long. Sometimes I'm posting the Ollie Marmel post game. Uh, there will be different types of videos besides just the B-Shape Daily on the Brendan Schaefer KMOV Cardinals writer YouTube page as it's currently labeled. Uh, we'll see if I end up rebranding that at some point. But for now, just go ahead and subscribe over there. Thank you guys so much for the time. Appreciate you as always. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.